Hey everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guest, James Swanston, founder and CEO at Voyage Control, a construction delivery and supply chain management software. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is a podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. Okay, if you've been listening for a while and enjoying the show, I'm going to ask you for some help. Could you please give us a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen? It matters, and the more we grow, it means the more we can we spit it out, Joe. We can continue to get great guests that help us keep learning um, from them and all the things that they've been through. So I thank you in advance for your support and listening. So today's interview is with another construction technology leader. I find these interviews to be quite insightful because speaking with founders gives us great insight into where the industry is going and how to better how to better prepare for our future. Can't speak today. Additionally, James is unique and should be applauded for being in business almost 10 years and a no, and as a non-VC-funded company. There's nothing wrong with funding and it can often be necessary when major innovation is being tackled, but there's something to be said for making it on your own. Enjoy the show. Hey, James. Welcome to the Mass Construction Show. Thank you very much. Uh, we're lucky you're in town. You're just, what, just in New York and now you're up in the Boston market yep just for a few hours for a few meetings so yeah okay with projects you currently have on the books or looking to put on the books or uh no more with um uh just sort of existing construction clients uh that we have and then a meeting with the british consulate actually oh yeah nice just to for in what in what manner i mean funnily enough they got us into the u.s construction market so they uh, they flew a couple of representatives of Suffolk Construction over to London for a big uh, convention a couple of years ago, um, and that's actually how you we sort of we got we got to meet Suffolk Construction, and that's how sort of they've ended up becoming one of our biggest clients in the United States. Wow! Yeah, I'm impressed that the consulate is even bothering to do that for lack of a better word you know, i think that's great yeah. right they're, they're um it, it's actually really interesting the the uk um department of international trade has been a fantastic advocate for us globally um and the australian equivalent is act, is actually the same so they're sort of very much almost like a, an external sales force uh, supporting us it's funny i don't think of a consulate in that capacity i think of them as more yeah. you know diplomatic uh crisis and uh, like affairs, international affairs. I don't think of them as almost like a local economic development, but on a national scale. Yeah, absolutely. Scale. It's, it's, um, it's a pretty remarkable sort of set of programs that, that they do. Um, you know, aside from just sort of trying to put us in touch with potential contacts, the, uh, the, the UK guys in New York sort of run a big sort of infrastructure club. So they'll take groups of British businesses around to um, particular airports or big infrastructure projects around the US and get you in front of, you know, re- really senior leadership to talk about what you're doing and everything like that. So they have a degree of convening a power that I don't think many others, others do. Um, so that's been fantastic. Yeah. So. Oh, I mean, if the British consulate calls me, I'm picking up the phone right absolutely, <laughs> you know? absolutely. so yeah wow I, yeah. I i am thoroughly impressed and you think of what investment that would take on your part to try and pull something like that off the, you know that would be extremely difficult yeah, but absolutely so. and the fact that they would foot the bill to bring people to the uk that's pretty nice yeah, 
Yep, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I think for the, the UK government, it's about sort of helping the export economy mm-hmm. uh, and everything like that. Obviously, the UK is in an interesting position right at the moment with Brexit. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to have some interesting challenges about how it sort of extricates itself out of the uh, European Union and looks to a, a future um, with differing bilateral trade arrangements. So, mm. yeah. But all the more reason to get homegrown businesses up and running so Absolutely. you're not dependent upon... Yeah. The other countries, right? Absolutely. So now it's almost a yeah. good time for somebody like you. Absolutely. Say, running your... yeah. Now, your company is based out of, what do you say, it's about 45 minutes outside of London or? Uh, so the, the office is in, I have an office in London oh, okay. um, and that's sort of where we started. But then if I'm in the UK, I sort of live north of, of London because I'm only in the UK once a week. Okay. So, uh, and then sort of subsidiaries here in the US and in Australia and soon to be Ireland. So, okay. Yeah. Well. All right, so there's probably a lot of people wondering. Um, I'm assuming I'll put in the in the title that it's voyage control. But um, what is what is voyage control? What does voyage control do to someone that has no idea about even an inkling of what you're doing? Sure. So um, I liken it to an air traffic control system for trucks, um, which is all about scheduling the arrival time of vehicles into busy logistics hubs, um, and then looking after the internal logistics processes that exist um, within that location, whether it be a crane and hoist for a construction site or a forklift on a, in a convention centre um, or a main goods lift or elevator um, in a shopping centre. So it's really about understanding what all the logistics issues are. Um, and then two other very key side benefits relate to um, knowing who and what vehicles are coming on site so supporting security issues that exist and then also by reducing air pollution and congestion associated with freight there's a positive impact on the local community as well mm. okay so that's high level yep. what you do you have a particular construction yep. piece <clears throat> absolutely right um and that is right now what's that most often and I, i'm going to phrase it this way what how is it most often being used at this point um, yeah, I think the, a great relevant local example would be One Dalton mm-hmm. uh, that we did, which is a Four Seasons Hotel as well, um, okay. which I'm sure many of your listeners will be familiar with. Well aware of, yeah. Um, and, Take, yeah you've yeah. taken the tour. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, most yeah, people have. Yeah. So the challenge with that site is there's um, very tall building, uh, very small loading dock, mm-hmm. not much crane or hoist capacity. So the, the platform was really there to support um, the smooth movement of of materials onto the job site. Um, you know, we sort of had to do the same with Millennium Tower, which is our first project we did uh, in Boston. Um, interestingly, when we got involved, the challenge was managing the internal elevators um, because the hoists and cranes were down. So it's really about what are those logistics problems that exist on a job site. Mm. Um, Encore Casino was just a very big project. It just needed lots of coordination anyway. So, um, but yeah, that, that's sort of where the, the platform also comes into its own when you've got very big complex job sites that need a lot of work. Okay. Did you work with Rich Michaels? Uh, I haven't personally, but I'm sure a few of my guys know him. Okay. Because so, yeah. he was at Millennium Place and then he was okay. at Encore. Okay. He was okay. on both of those projects. Um, what does the interface look like? I've looked at it on your website. Um, appears to look very much like a calendar almost with time slots. Like... Uh, what would someone, if they were a superintendent on a project, what would the interface look like? How would they 
put information into it, how to subcontractors access it, what yeah. is the actual, I'm, I know I'm getting in the weeds, but so, I want people to just get a sense of yeah. what it would look like and what it would be like if they had it on their project. So I think there's two parts to the interface and two key users here on, on a job site. One is uh, the superintendent or whomever is responsible for logistics on a job site who currently is probably on the phone, you know, eight hours a day trying to work out what is going on, uh, often in a reactive manner. Mm-hmm. Um, the the solution is really there to help them approve bookings and push the onus onto the, the trades to actually make those bookings mm-hmm. on the platform. So all all someone has to do on site is, you know, open the mobile app, you know, approve to client bookings. When they show up, check them in and check them out. If there's a problem, um, address it there and then, and you can capture all that information through the app. Um, so that's the superintendent side. The the idea for the the trades is really to provide a single platform where they can go in um, and make bookings in a reasonably simple way to whichever job site and and book space in the loading dock or with the crane or hoist or just the hoist itself and everything like that. And then sitting behind it is a series of increasingly complex rules depending on the job site um, where you might have challenges around capacities. Um, building ordinances around when certain vehicles can show up or mm-hmm. um, if there's a school you might need to close down between 7 and 9 a.m. in the morning and all these kind of things so so there's a ton of stuff in the back end but I think ultimately it's about trying to have a very simple interface uh, on the front end um, and that's sort of the way the two key user groups mm-hmm. um, uh, engage with the platform and certainly I think globally about 85% of all bookings in construction are actually made by the trade so it's taking a huge amount of weight off uh, and strain off off the guys. And then the third sort of way in which people see it on a job site is um, some of our clients will actually have a big TV screen in the loading dock yeah, where you effectively like have this arrivals notice board like you would in an airport or a train station mm. and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to even bring it down just kind of a, a, another notch. Um, and let's talk about kind of... So existing on a job site having done this before um, you either have a whiteboard or some type of a spreadsheet and plumbing foreman's calling you're saying hey I gotta you know a load of fittings I gotta get on the dock do you got anything today can I get in here whatever I'm held up there's one person there looking at a schedule trying to find a spot and you usually really have one person always controlling that so you don't have problems right you can't let outside people touch that because they erase something or take time they're not supposed to take things like that Um, this is now that system in a software that can give you the ability to put guideposts on things block out so if if I'm the general contractor I can say okay uh, at First thing in the morning, coffee break, lunchtime, and afternoon coffee. We need to move people. Nobody can book anything then, yep. right? Yep. Um, your example, schools. Maybe there's a window with the schools. Um, transportation department doesn't allow heavy loads or large loads into yep. the city at certain times. You yep. can put those parameters Absolutely. in there, yep. right? Subcontractor, after the parameters are put in, then has the option to go in and say, hey, I need time. When's time open? Good, I need a two-hour bank. They take that, and the general contractor has the ability to approve or Absolutely. deny that. Yep. And that's the, the basics. 
that's the tactical use of the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it also means is that, you know, to your example of it's one person with a whiteboard in their office, mm-hmm. um, that is the typical example across the United States. But what that means is that no one else has any visibility to that whiteboard. Um, so if the whiteboard is in this room and in the next room someone's trying to plan something, they don't know what's going on because they can't see the whiteboard. So this is in part about creating like a common operating sort of picture of the loading dock and, and uh, hoist and crane requirements. Mm. Um, but then the other thing you mentioned was, you know, someone can go in and erase something off a whiteboard. The value of a digital platform is you can maintain a, uh, an audit trail of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so people can't just erase things um, and it allows to build a, a, a corporate digital memory of all the logistics for, for different job sites and, and how the supply chain is performing. And that's where I think it comes into its own in supporting the, the construction company rather than the individual sites in terms of you know, what's going on with our sites. You know, here's you know, ABC plumbing company that is never showing up on time um, consistently across every single job site or they're doing it really well except for this one place and what's the problem? Is it the driver? Is it the company? Because um, mm. there's none of that sort of um, operational excellence stuff that really goes on that we see with logistics and supply chain management yet in, in construction. Yeah, I one of the tools I liked in there was when I was reading about it, the ability to kind of, how you, you were just describing it, but look at the subcontractor's performance. And, and again, you're thinking at it more globally or corporate wise it's great to know holistically how they're operating but as an end user on a project to know that okay this company keeps booking two and a half hours of hoist time and they use an hour every time there's an hour and 15 or an hour and a half that is being wasted you can then take action on that. Because if it happens Absolutely. once, it's one thing. But if you continually know, Absolutely. say, and you can look at this this pattern and say, okay, this person, and you know what? We're not going to allow them to book in more than yeah. hour increments. If you can't finish in an hour, then Absolutely. we're done. Yeah. Right? Um, it gives you that control and that knowledge. Because that's like to go with like the lean concept. That's waste. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. There's a wasted hoist time that we could have been efficient and gotten the appropriate amount of materials. And now understandably there's a perfect there's not a perfect world right and people are trying to build float in because they're like okay if my truck gets here late then i need so they're they're doing that and maybe there is a place for that i think eventually we get to a place where there's less of a need where you can right now you can you get something ordered you can track your Mm -hmm. package and you look and you say okay my package is in a shipping center in connecticut and this will be here tomorrow between 10 and 2 or whatever you know maybe we get to there yeah. right and, um, and conversely for sort of abc plumbing you know they have uncertainty around delivering to job sites as well so if they've got five job sites to deliver to the value of the platform is they know that they've made a booking at 10 a.m in the morning they can get to this site get in at 10 get out at 11 and then go and do other sites where there might be uncertainty around you know is there someone already stuck in the loading dock is there a plan for how I can get my things in and out? So it actually helps the supply chain um, as well because you, you don't want those guys, you know, trying to come in and out of multiple different job sites and they've got, they're being held up at one place because someone doesn't manage their logistics properly. So mm. there, there is a lot of value for those guys hmm. um, as well. Um, I chatted with someone before our conversation to me that had used the, the platform. Um, 
and it was interesting there one of their uh bits of feedback was that he's like and this was in a positive manner says it's simple yeah he goes i, I like it because it's simple he goes too many things try to do too many <clears throat> solutions try and do too many things yep. and he said it is simple and also because it's simple he talked about other softwares that he uses that are constantly you know taking forever or if they're down the whole job is having yep. problems he's like you know it's quick it's simple it does what it needs to do he goes i know people that use the app he goes i didn't use the app from a scheduling standpoint he goes but I used it when I needed to know when something was going to be here, yep. you know, and rather than having to go down to the trailer and look at a whiteboard or whatever, yep. it was like if I'm at home or if I'm on the, you know, yep. 30th floor or whatever, I can open it up and say, oh, okay, door frames are coming on Thursday. Good. That's going to work with my schedule. Yep. Right. Um, so I think that's, that's a compliment because I think a lot of new technologies that come in the marketplace, they're just, um, Either they're trying to do too much or they just haven't worked out enough of the bugs that it's just not, it's not functional. It doesn't, it's not responsive. Yeah. So um, he, he, one of his um, compliments to it was he's yeah. like, it's it's simple. It does what it needs to do. And he goes, and I, and I like that. And he yeah. goes, I would, he goes, if I go to my next job, I'm taking it with me. Yep. And that, that happens a lot. And making something simple is actually much harder than it sounds yeah. as well. So, um, you know, it's because, you know, sitting in the back, we've set up a whole series of things that you can do and not do. And um, because, I mean, and, and this partly comes out of starting in the events industry where event logistics can be incredibly complicated, particularly given that you're trying to create something brand new in two or three days and then pull it all apart. So... Um, so there's been a lot of effort to try and just make that front-end user interface as simple as possible. We're, we're not there yet, but we're mm. certainly headed in that direction. Um, but, but what you say is also true. I think a lot of people come up with some really bright ideas and they'll see a problem in construction or whatever, and then they won't really think about what the user experience is or engage with users in the, in the right way to sort of build something that works. Um, mm. We've had to spend a lot of time with our customers just getting their feedback and and building features based on on what they say, um, and I think that's incredibly beneficial as well. Yeah, and you're right. There is something. It, it is more difficult to make something simple. There's, I, I don't remember the quote, but the quote is along the lines of, you know, um, it, it's you know, it, it's hard to write fi- a two thousand word essay. Yes. It, yeah. It's even harder to make it make that same essay five hundred words. Yeah right yeah. you know because you have to really just clean up the junk like how much so, other filler are we putting in there yeah. that might be useful for one percent this piece is useful for one percent that piece is useful for one percent but they're not adding that much value so how do we strip away that stuff Absolutely. that can make it sleeker and tighter and also operability wise faster because you're not trying to process so much information Absolutely. right and then the other part of that is you know, our focus is on logistics and supply chain activities. It's not trying to recreate some massive construction project management software. And, and this is where it's important to partner with other companies that are really strong at what they do um, because we don't want to try and build everything. And I think that's the other problem with some companies. They just try and build too much. Mm. And then they are, uh, you know, a, a friend of mine uh, might, might have, yeah, he's, what, what did they sort of say? Like if you get like a pentathlon, they're reasonably good at 
you know, five sports or whatever it is, but none of them can ever beat an individual like sprinter yeah. or anything like that. So, mm. and our view is if, you know, we're, our race is the logistics race and we're running that and if we're partnering with people that can do other really good things and that's a far better way of doing it, trying to be, rather than to try and be sort of a, you know, uh, a jack of all trades but master, master of none. none yeah. yeah. So, no, it's a good, it's yeah. a good point. And the end result, at least to a sample of one, is um, that that's working. So okay, that, that's a good. that's a plus. Good. Um, and I guess the strongest, not to be blowing too much smoke for you here, but um, the strongest um, praise there is that they want to use it on the next job. Absolutely. So I was like, okay, yeah. you know, because it, it's very easy. I try and do my due diligence. Like we've communicated on social media a bit, yep. talked on the phone, this yep. and that, and I don't want to just take what you say so like hey i want to dig in and like okay james is saying all this stuff and that sounds great but a lot of people say things that sound great and then you talk to somebody using it you know like oh this thing's a fucking piece of shit you know some it guys making me use it and you know i I hate it i just want a whiteboard you know so it's definitely positive we're not hearing that response um so zooming out a little so we're talking about how right now you're using it um for logistics and again just your construction piece you guys do shipping and events and all this other stuff but on the construction side we're talking about like a project based um discussion here i guess i might even broaden it out even more now that i started that sentence so um how do you see it um moving from beyond site to really like the whole supply chain because yeah. I really want this conversation today to be about not only what Voyage and their capabilities are and where that company can go and where your company can go, but I want that to be a window into mm. what does our future in construction look like, yeah. big picture. So I would love to talk about just what are the some of the things that you're thinking about, like, okay, hey, here's where we'd like to go with this. Here's where we think we're going to go to it. Yeah. Um and go ahead and feel free to say, I even think that, you know, we might not do it, but what I see down the line is X, Y, and Z playing out as a result of it. So yep. kind of take the governor off and yeah. let's just talk a little bit about it. So um, beyond site logistics and into more supply chain, where, yep. where do you see you, you potentially yeah. fitting in or... So the um, Lord Kelvin, uh, who was a, a, a brilliant British scientist about 100 years ago, sort of said uh, along the lines of um, you, you can't manage what you can't or don't measure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's sort of the starting point in many respects with this platform. Um, very few construction companies globally have a good handle on what they're doing in terms of um, logistics or supply chain. Uh, management or spend or, or anything like that. Um, even for companies that do have certain software um, in place that might be competing against ours, there's very little holistic understanding at an enterprise level of what's happening. So in part what we're doing at the moment is very much data collection um, to start to build that baseline analysis of what's going on. Um, we, we did a Captain Stone project with Columbia University last year with their master's program for construction management and it was very difficult to find any data from a lot of the big GCs in New York that suggested any of them had any robust data or analytics around supply chain. What would, if you, can I interrupt? Um, 
what would they be tracking or what do you think they should be tracking? Uh, I think there's a, a whole range of potential metrics to track. And if we just focus on the physical movement of goods rather than the sort of security or other bits and pieces, mm -hmm. like one of our clients uses the platform to track things with the Buy America Act. Um, so it's all about buying and growing stuff. But mm -hmm. yeah, I think it, it is really about supply chain performance. Like are people showing up on time? Um, are they, you know, efficiently using the, the cranes and hoists and, you know, crane operators are very expensive on a job site. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, what's happening in terms of what's being delivered? Is it correct? Is it damaged? Um, yeah, all those kind of very basic things. Is the supply chain compliant from a health and safety perspective? Like, do drivers show up with the right PPE? Um, it's more relevant in Europe, but, you know, the emission standards with trucks. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, in the UK, there are initiatives around cycle safety and, and construction vehicles. So, you know, has the vehicle complied with all of the checks related to that? Um, so there's a whole range of sort of metrics that can be looked at. Um, because ultimately, if stuff doesn't show up on a job site on time when it's expected, the knock-on effects can be significant. Um, if people drive and, and sort of park nearby for a few hours, that could potentially break the planning conditions that have been associated with setting up the project in terms of where vehicles can go. Um, and you could end up with massive parking fines. You know, one of my mates on a job site you know, had to keep scaffolding around for an extra week because something didn't show up on a you know, Thursday or Friday. And, Scaffolding on a project is not a small yeah, sum of money. Number. Yeah, so yeah, there's, and I think because sites are so busy, they almost can't be efficient. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're just sort of throwing money at the problem almost, rather than actually trying to solve the efficiency challenge. Um, and and so I think just by being able to collect data, you can actually start to build a, a much better picture of what's going on. And then once you've got data across multiple projects, you can start to build out what does that baseline model really need to look like so um as far as what you're monitoring um are we talking um you know uh, what immediately comes to my mind if i'm thinking of supply chain what i want to monitor um things like that are historically problematic door frames doors door hardware curtain wall yep. steel right these are things that um, are often problematic. They have a big impact on the schedule. A lot of times you think, okay, I'm getting this, this shipment, another one, cabinets. Mm. I'm having the shipment of cabinets come in and they say, oh yeah, you're getting the seven floor cabinets, right? Units uh, 10, 11, and 12. And then it shows up and it's a third of 10, all of 11, and three quarters of 12 yeah. and part of 13. Yeah. Like, what are the, I guess, just because I'm trying to help somebody who's listening to this paint a yeah. picture, like, when because when you say at Columbia, we were looking to find out how much data construction companies had about supply chain, you know, what, like, what are some kind of more concrete examples? Would it be those type of things? Would it be supplies to job sites yeah I mean, what, what am i missing I guess. no well i mean actually or is that just <laughs> well, what right? are people missing yeah like yeah, yeah that like the, the example you just gave that happens all the time you mm -hmm. know on job sites but that when that happened last week you know you're too busy dealing with this week's crisis to really care anymore about last week's right crisis so you're in a perpetual state of catch up with, with stuff like that 
Um, Completely reactive. <clears throat> absolutely. Yep. So I also think that if there's a robust system to manage this, people start to behave a bit better. Like if you know that, like, I don't know, if you're jumping on a train and you know you're going to get checked for a ticket or you have to go through a barrier where you have to present your ticket, you're pre pretty much going to get a ticket. Whereas if you're traveling between two country stations in the middle of nowhere where there's no ticket machines or stuff, you may not care. So mm. I think there is a big thing to be said for if you're going into a system where there is you know, a compliance requirement, you will start behaving better. Mm. And, and that works really well for companies that are doing the right thing all the time. And it, hopefully it sort of helps to dissuade people that aren't doing the right thing or makes them realise they need to start, you know, behaving a bit better. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, all these things do is just eat into the cost of projects and, and reduce the profitability of the industry. Okay. Um, so you start monitoring the data around logistics yeah. and then what do you, um, what do you learn, which you started to talk about already, um, and then how do you, how can you take action kind of from that? Uh, so there's probably a couple of different bits of that. The first is, uh, I think it takes a while to start getting a lot of data and ultimately there is a requirement with, you know, the, the GCs to actually start collecting data and accurately correct, collect the data as well. Mm. Um, you know, some of the things that have been found, there's been a few fraud incidences found where people are sort of trying to say they've dropped stuff off, but clearly they never did. And mm. there's no digital record of, of the, them doing anything like that. Um, not so much in the construction industry, but something that we've definitely seen somewhere else is where someone who's meant to be picking up a lot of stuff um, is basically lying to the their customer about their inability to pick it up. Um, unfortunately, our client is, has a digital record to demonstrate that actually, you know, the problem is the trucking company, not the terminal or the, the cargo owner mm. itself. So I think that visibility um, presents some really interesting opportunities to address poor behaviour um, in the supply chain. Ultimately, it's, you know, our customers' um, responsibility to take action if mm. they so desire. Mm. Um, the platform enables them to sort of get the data and present it and it's clear and coherent and you sort of you a whiteboard you can wipe wipe off straight away you mm -hmm. know if there's a digital record that has a very clear audit trail of who's doing what it's a little bit more different mm -hmm. um to sort of you know take that information away okay so i i interrupted you were talking about the study in yep. columbia where you're yep. trying to capture yep. data um wasn't there so yep. wh where did it go from there that you weren't able to find um, so I sort of, th you know, th that's going to be a, a process as well. Um, and, yeah, we'll continue to do some work with, with Columbia um, on this. Um, uh, the, you know, the, the guy that runs the construction management thing is very keen on technology and, uh, and logistics, actually. So he's a, he's a Navy Reserve officer as well. Um, and there's a lot of military people in, in construction, as I'm yeah. sure you know. So, um, yeah, so he's actually got a big technology symposium in October that I'll be speaking at about about this but I think I think it's a journey for the industry as well it's yeah part of it is that initial data collection then it's about well if we're starting to collect this data and, and there are platforms in place that can help to manage supply chain better what does that mean because it's as great as it is to know that there's something showing up tomorrow you really want to know three or, or four weeks out in advance is the stuff ready to be picked up and delivered to the job site or is it has it shown up from Italy or mm -hmm. so I think part of the supply chain vision is really to look at 
where do things start from and, and then ultimately end of the construction site? Um, how's that playing to the project schedule? And then if there's an issue in the supply chain, you know, what does that do in terms of clash detection or um, does, does that throw up problems that, you know, someone needs to sort of consider? Um, and this, you know, it is sort of at a project-wide level. Because if, you know, the rebar is going to be three weeks late on a job for whatever reason, you need to know about it and, you know, make adjustments mm-hmm. to, to, your, to your schedule and everything like that. Yeah. So. Now, do you see Voyage Control getting involved with that process of tracking? Absolutely, absolutely. So, and then, yeah, I, I don't see us trying to build a project scheduling tool by any stretch of imagination, but there's some great scheduling tools out there that we can link into. Mm. Um, and sort of like, you know, the relationship we have with Procore now and the one we're building with Autodesk similarly is there to sort of help to provide that much wider visibility and planning for our clients about what they're doing. Mm. So do you kind of see it... Um becoming almost um you know everything whether it's whatever the technology is but for staying with current technology like everything is barcoded and you're kind of watching going back to the amazon analogy like okay raw materials left such and such place heading to the manufacturer manufacturer is done it's going to be painted painted now has it's on the road and it's in ohio and you're just kind of <clears throat> tracking it that way? Like, yeah, that... I, th- I think, you know, at, at a very basic level, that's correct in terms of what needs to happen because, you know, a construction site, to my mind, is a manufacturing project, really. And, you know, the manufacturing industry for years has been focused around optimising supply chain, and mm-hmm. that's exactly what those guys do. You know, we're not, we're not trying to build anything that's revolutionary here. We're just trying to take best practice from another sector mm-hmm. and apply it to an industry that's, you know, typically suffered from massive productivity challenges so Mm -hmm. and you know having you know a a greater degree of visibility is going to help absolutely everyone um in the supply chain as well as the on the job side as well do you see a place where um kind of on a micro level you were saying okay this subcontractor is really poor at managing their time on the hoist and there's a lot of waste there um do you think you'd ever get to the point where you um have enough data where you could say okay you could use this curtain wall manufacturer or you could use this curtain wall manufacturer this curtain wall manufacturer's efficiency is x and this one is y off of our historical data yeah i, th- I think that's absolutely possible um and yeah there are already you know, some great companies out there doing stuff around looking at the trades to see who's good who's bad like building connected and, and some of those guys hmm. and yeah, there's no reason why we can't provide some verification around supply chain performance, mm-hmm. um, which I think would also add a huge amount of value mm-hmm. to construction companies. Yeah. What about even, have you gone as far to think about how you execute that? Would you, um, do you think this becomes partnerships with suppliers um, that are essentially voyage control enabled? where they have all their systems that get monitored by voyage control. And if you're the general contractor, you're now working with somebody that you know can give you all this data that you need for your project. Do you, or do you see it being that no general contractor is going to require subcontractor, supplier, whoever to use voyage control? Yeah. It's, it's a funny one because I see the potential for the platform to be used by a multitude of different stakeholders here as a primary customer. So the GC is obviously clearly there. 
Um, I also see a place where big trades could say, well, um, we're all on voyage control. Here are four or five different sites where we have real issues. Can you please go in and sort out, you know, ABC Construction Company on, on this job site because it's a disaster. So we see them as, you know, potentially working with us. And then also, you know, it's also important to recognise that some of these guys are, you know, at the top of a supply chain as well. So, um, you know, so the, some of the big trades will have a massive supply chain behind them, mm-hmm. so potentially monitoring that. And then I think the other one is with the owners as well, hmm. um, because the owners have a slightly different take on this. So yeah, I'm curious. Because <clears throat> it's funny, I've thought of a thousand things after thinking about yeah. what you guys do that yeah. seem to make sense to me. I, owners have not come up, so okay. I'm curious. So, okay, so I think there's a couple of places for this. First is um, if you're looking to build a, something... Um, and there are challenges around planning approval. You know, logistics planning is often required. It's certainly in the United Kingdom and Australia. So um, we've certainly helped one developer with getting planning approval through because our platform is there to effectively manage the, the planning conditions that have been placed on a, a very big uh, billion-dollar development. Um, so being able to support from a planning perspective, I think there's, there's value there. Secondly, if an owner has 10 different projects with five different GCs, the platform can also be there to actually monitor whether the GCs are doing the right job. You know, if they've got 10 different projects and one of them's falling behind badly from a construction perspective, then is it because of the logistics? And then it's, oh yes, you know, the, the hoist aren't being used properly. And so I think there's, there's an ability there for owners to potentially have an, an understanding of what's going on and, um, and audit you know, their GCs. Um, properly. So in the same way I was saying <coughs> GC can yep. look at supplier A versus supplier B, you would say the owner could really be doing the same thing if they have enough work going on to kind of monitor Absolutely. general contractors. Absolutely. Um, and then the other part from an owner's perspective is that um, given the other sectors we operate in, sometimes you have a going concern operationally that has a construction project. <laughs> You know, so like an airport may have a construction project to um, increase a terminal or a shopping centre may be building something new um, or a venue or convention centre may be building three new halls. And in all of those instances, the owner is concerned both about the logistics requirements for the ongoing operations of mm. whatever they're doing as well as the construction and particularly ensuring that the construction doesn't impact adversely on whatever else they're doing. So... So there's a nice little thing for us where because we do operate across multiple sectors, there's actually a multi-sector opportunity for us to support clients, and we do that already. Um, mm. So I could almost see, now that you're saying that, like someplace like the casino, yep. right? Where they go to do a tenant improvement yep. for a restaurant or whatever within the casino, they already have a major logistics operation going yep they actually use Voyage as an owner and then say you as a contractor need to schedule everything through our delivery system because they're as much as an operations group as the, or probably bigger than the general contractor that's showing up on site. It's funny when I think owner, I think of like developer or something like that and I don't think of them as doing that. But yeah, you have um, pretty involved uh, operationally ownership groups and I could see them using it. it's a valuable tool for Absolutely. them. Absolutely. And you know, I mean one of the developers I'm talking to in, in New York, you know, where they're doing
a huge amount of fit out work internally they've got that construction project to manage as long alongside 20 or 30 floors of um, your office and retail and food and beverage um, and then for them, you know, the security aspects of the platform start to come into play in terms of linking to license plate recognition um, and sort of verifying who the drivers and vehicles are and everything like that. So that's where sort of having this multi-sector approach has actually been really valuable uh, for us. Okay. So, it's funny, there's so many things I want to ask. So we talked about the site, now we're backing up as far as the suppliers, yeah. already very bottom of the supply chain is yeah. that the right terminology you know what i'm saying going out as far as possible to raw goods yeah. right yeah. um but then does it also dive in even more which is um i know there's been a lot of companies right now in the marketplace trying to track um people sure. moving within the site yeah. <clears throat> do you envision where it goes further where you know what material is on site um potentially even where it's housed? Yeah, so I think um, material on site's an interesting one for a couple of things. I, I think there's there's definite scope to do something um, in that respect. Whether we do it ourselves or whether we partner with, like I don't want us to build um, all these cool little you know, RFID devices that you mm-hmm. can chuck on a piece of kernel wall or whatever, because yep. there's already companies doing that. Um, I'd rather you know, use you know, technology partners to provide that which extends the knowledge of where goods are within a construction site or, or whatever. Um, the storage on site's an interesting one though because I think, and this is where you start looking at the use of the crane and the loading docks because I think there's a lot of things that also get dropped off on site prematurely. Um, which means there's yeah. no space in the loading docks or the, the space is, is just wrong for whatever it is because it's outside and it, you know, things get damaged or lost and then inevitably a crane will move something to the seventh floor and then the seventh floor is getting you know, built out properly so it then has to get moved to the 15th floor mm-hmm. and then it goes back down to the ground floor before it gets put onto the 23rd floor. And every single you know, crane move costs money. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time you have a move, not only is there that direct cost, but you have the potential for things to get lost or stolen um, and, and everything like that. So I think there's an interesting thing about, you know, crane optimization and space optimization on the job site that is sort of relevant, you know, in terms of what we're doing um, as well. Because ultimately, you want things to show up to the job site when they're needed, not, you know, before. And you want the right quantities, you know, what, like what you were talking about earlier with, you know, everything for, you know, apartment 11 and uh, half of apartment 10 you want exactly what you need to show up when you need it not what the randomness of whatever happens these days (laughs) yeah yeah so you see that that is kind of in our future but it's not something that you guys want to tackle which makes a lot of sense but if you can integrate with some other information so you really then end up raw materials to installed material somewhere you that whole life cycle (coughs) is known and monitored and you know and then you really start going off on tangents but then you you know start overlaying um 
different video platforms that are videoing the site and yeah. the pillar that's monitoring temperature and humidity of the product while it was on site. And so if you have claims down the line, you can really start to get a pretty intense picture of the whole Absolutely. life cycle of things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then it's really about we have to make some business decisions about what's in our wheelhouse, what's sort of in our wheelhouse, and then what's definitely not in our wheelhouse where there's a clear requirement to partner mm. you know, with, with someone else. Yeah. How about just um, really big picture talking about data, right? Because I've had a number of folks at startup companies on this um, and even really forward-thinking companies that are talking about data yeah. and, you know, they talk about how it can become uh, predictive and um, I feel like what happens is a lot of people listen to this and data is a very broad word. Yeah. And they say, yeah, everyone's talking about data, but I haven't seen anything from data yet. It hasn't, yeah. they, they, it either hasn't or they're not clear on how it's affected yeah. their job. Like, how do you, how do you see data? How do you see it being used now? How do you see it being used in the future? And, you know, what would you tell somebody that is hearing all this stuff about, you know, we need more data and, you know, terms like big data and all this kind of stuff. How, as someone who's kind of intimate and in it and trying yeah. to solve problems, yeah. what do you think about? So I, I go back to my time in the military and, um, you know, when you're involved in intelligence collection, you can hoover up a huge amount of data. Like, you know, particularly when you're doing signals intelligence and listening to people's phone calls and all, all this kind of stuff. And you're just pulling in a, an unbelievable amount of data. Um, and that's sort of great because you've got lots of data, but actually it's about how do you derive actionable intelligence out of that data. Like, you don't want to say, oh, I'm amazing, I've picked up 25,000 phone calls this week. You want to know that you've got three bad guys who are going to, you know, set off an IED and you need to, you know, interdict them and take them out. Yeah. You know, so, um, and there's too many people that talk about big data and then have, you know, it's a very PowerPoint thin presentation on mm -hmm. what they're doing with the data so um i think probably the two things are firstly at the moment for us it's a big data collection exercise because there just isn't uh, um uh, anything we've been able to really start with it, it, it hasn't been possible to go to a project and analyze what they're doing wrong and then try and put in place our platform and, and then see what the difference is because you know no two projects are entirely the same you, you can't sort of do a b testing onto identical construction sites really right um and even if you want to do that it can be quite expensive we were looking at doing it with with a client of ours and it was just it was a bit too hard almost so um so i think the first thing is about you know collecting as much data as possible and then start to see what the low-hanging fruit is around um actual intelligence um which i think is this sort of supply chain performance and like you know for clients we can see already you know who never shows up on time, um, you know, and you know, there are you know, some, some of our projects you can really see that, you know, here are the top three people who are just consistently always never showing up on time. And that's an actionable piece of intelligence for a client to turn around to them and say, what are you doing? Um, or if someone is saying they've delivered something and they definitely haven't, then, you know, there's a clear piece of actual okay. intelligence out of that. Mm. But then over time, you can start to really build these pictures about what's going on in the industry. You know, who, what, what is the right amount of, you know, 
time to give someone a grace period for being early or late on the job site um, in an inner city environment? What's the average um, amount of time that you really need to sort of put something onto the 15th floor from a truck and, you know, and, and mm. sort of, and I think over time you'll be able to build sort of some decent, you know, baseline statistics around what is appropriate and acceptable for logistics and then what's not acceptable. Um, and then, you know, that's something that clients can um, use to uh, manage their supply chain in terms of what are the KPIs. Like, does the KPI need to be 90% of deliveries have to be on time within a 15-minute window? Mm. Um, because it's sort of, uh, you know, it's clear that, you know, one out of 10 is always going to be a bit late. Um, I mean, if you think about, you know, Amazon Web Services or anything like that, they all have clear metrics and KPIs about what they're going to deliver and ultimately... I think that's where logistics needs to get to mm. as well. So. I've heard a lot of people in the in the space of what I'll just call data collection and technology, right? Yeah. Um, they feel like there's issues with sample size yep. and um, they feel like the, that companies are using the technology sometimes in the wrong way yep. right not not i shouldn't say that not in the wrong way but not being able to get the most out of the technology because if you use the technology on seven percent of your sites you're not getting an accurate yep. picture right yep. um you need the data to be broad enough to get a good yep. sample size do you yep. feel like that is that's definitely a challenge. Um, I think we're sort of slightly past that now. Um, I mean, we've got two million freight journeys on our platform, um, sort of. So that's that's quite a decent number of, of journeys. Um, but once you break that down, um, you know, I think uh, data collection with US construction isn't as robust as it could be on the job sites. <laughs> Um, you know, when you compare sort of here to the U.S. That's kind. Yeah, well, but when you compare this to what's happening in, say, the U.K. or Australia, it's it's just not as close. Or they're, not, or they're collecting certain things that are very pertinent to a particular project. So, you know, one side will be collecting information that's relevant to vehicles coming in and out. Another might be more concerned about what's being delivered. Um, so that, that you may just not have that consistency of data collection. Mm -hmm across everything but I think the reality is that once you start to get any kind of sample size it, it does at least start to point you in the right direction of what's going on so mm. um, and it's better to have a sample size of 10 and do something with that and then wait until you get to 50 or 100 you know yeah, there's that sort of great sort of thing about you know an 80% solution now is better than a 100% solution too late kind of thing so mm. yeah I think you know sample size yeah sure it's an issue but um, you just accept it you know, as a sample size grows, your ability to understand the data just grows. Gets better and better. Yeah. So. And I didn't even mean from, like, I know you responded kind of <coughs> of voyage control sample size, which is obviously mm. quite large now. Um, but I meant from the lens of I'm a general contractor yeah. and I'm using a solution sporadically here or there. Mm. Um and then I'm trying to get something out of the data. I think it's kind of, is that the next leap that construction companies have to make where they say, 
okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it universally over all my projects yeah. for a year yeah. or whatever, 18 months or whatever it is. Yeah. So I can get an accurate snapshot. Because yeah. um, it seems like they want to test stuff out, and that's yeah. fine, yeah. right? But you're testing it here. You're testing something else there. And you're never really getting a good picture. Do you feel like it makes more sense for them to say, okay, we're going to roll out something. We're going to roll it out across everything and see if we can eventually get some actionable data out of this. Is it something that they just have to kind of um, suck up and invest in to kind of be better in the future? Or I, I think the, the short answer to that last question is yes. Um, the and there's a few interesting things that i've seen in the us the first is um i think challenges that gcs have are that there's a lot of new technology that's thrown at them um and it can be quite difficult to determine what works and what doesn't work so there does need to be a vetting process particularly mm -hmm. for companies that don't have much traction in the market um, there's i think a technology fatigue challenge that exists where a site has been asked to evaluate 10 different pieces of technology and mm -hmm. yeah that's just crazy so I think there is genuinely a challenge for, for GCs to do that um, and there does need to be a, a, a methodology in place for a GC to say okay well here's this problem set what are the solutions out there that we want to bring in or alternatively here's someone who's presenting a solution for someone we haven't really thought about you know how do we you know introduce that into service Mm. Um, yeah, the introduction of anything into into services is always a challenge, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I can remember and a large expense. Yeah, ab absolutely. Yeah. So, um, but I think uh, it it's been interesting how the dynamic of discussions has changed with some of our clients here in the US and some of the companies we're talking to. In that, um, there seems to be a lot more strategic buy-in to the idea of looking at supply chain and logistics far more seriously now than. I would have said a year or two mm. ago um, and where we've sort of had success going in at that sort of very tactical level to one site and then you know the, the person on site takes it to a second site and sort of you know grows like sort of some guerrilla warfare campaign <laughs> kind of thing um, versus talking to like CIOs of one or two of the big companies and mm. then it's like okay well, we're going to trial it here here and here and then we'll see how it works and then look to potentially um, roll it out um, mm. far more widely, much more quickly is, is is sort of starting to happen now. And I think it's it really is about how long is it going to take for construction companies to go from first interest through to you know complete rollout of, of solutions. Yeah, and I think that is always going to take a couple of years until you are a trusted sort of entity in in the industry and, and known mm -hmm. by lots of players. Yeah. And I, and I was almost asking more from the perspective of just generally um, technology. And as I was listening to you, I guess I was formulating my thoughts a little more around it, yeah. which is, um, I think there's two things, right? Which is, I think you hit the nail on the head um, in Kelsey Gager from yeah. Suffolk, um, you know, talked about, talked about how, what their experience was and seems to make a lot of sense for testing out of tech to bubble up from the site mm. from the end user rather than like you were saying the CIO top yep. downing yep. deciding that this is going to happen yep. you just get more 
buy-in. Yeah. You know, just like anything, if it's someone's, if someone finds something themselves, yeah. now they own it and they want it to succeed, so they're really going to try it. If someone says, "Here, you have to use this," yeah. you're much more to go. It's another thing I have to do. And yeah. you, you know, just the psychology is different. Yes. So I think you're right, um, and I think for construction companies, they are struggling with these things, right? So you do want to have the ability to test out lots of different things in lots mm. of different places. Mm. And I guess what I'm wondering is, do you need, whether it's a second person or just a second way of looking at it, which is, okay, we're going to test out these technologies for how useful they are yeah. and how um, much more productive they make us, how much time they save us, how much yeah. money they make us. All those things are great and say, okay, is this a good solution for us, right? Yeah. But... I think there has to be that second view at it, which is, okay, more 100,000 foot view where, okay, how are we collecting data to make it usable? So it's great to look at it one way and say, okay, is this functional to the help us to make it better? But I think there's someone, there has to be somebody looking at it from a big picture saying, and maybe that's more the CIO's job, which is, okay, Yes, this team wants to use it. If we see some traction, how do we spread it yeah. and start making sure we're getting yeah. enough data that we can start? Right. And, or? There's, um, the, and there's probably yeah, another couple of interesting things. I think when you're trying to test software on a single project, that also has some risks in that if you've got a person on the site who's very pro-technology um, and you know, the evangelist and that person leaves, mm-hmm. then... You can that's almost a single point of failure. Yeah. Um, so you really sort of need to have the right projects with the right project team, because uh, also you know sometimes projects fail, you know, as as a whole. So and it's, yeah. it's got nothing to do with technology they're trying to just stops for, for whatever reason. So so I think there's always that, that additional challenge, and sometimes you almost need to test something on a couple of different uh, sites. The other thing which uh, I was with a, a big GC who's a client of ours last week and I was talking to someone who was running a very big project for them and he sort of he sort of said, you know, that the value of our platform, yes, is, you know, if you've split the cost, you know, part of it, yes, if you're just looking at it at a tactical level, yeah, it, it's probably worth this amount, but actually the reason it should be worth the amount you're asking for is because of all the enterprise level value as well, so because there is these two different very value uh, sort of value propositions, one at the site level, one at the enterprise level, mm-hmm. it's a funny challenge to sort of get around a little bit um, as well, because a site person may not sort of see the value at a particular price point because they're very much focused on their tactical issues, whereas actually the true value proposition comes into its own when it's at a strategic hmm. um, level. So that might be a little bit more unique to sort of what we do as opposed to sort of other other sort of um, sort of technology platforms out there as well, but it's it's certainly a dynamic what we see. Fortunately, quite a lot of the big GCs are starting to look at it that way okay. um, as well. We're we're running late on time, but there's a couple of things that I definitely want to get to because I know you have a call as well that you have to make. Um, do you see you guys inter- interfacing with traffic data at some point? And not just the traditional sense of, okay, what's traffic today kind of things. Do you, I could see going back to when you talk about ownership and like planning commitments they make with the municipality. So for people that don't know, if yep. you're not part of the project, if you're on bigger projects, 
most municipalities make you submit some type of a traffic plan. Yep. Hours you're going to bring large loads in, what are the trucking routes, where are you going to queue up concrete trucks, yep. things like that, right? Um, to your school point, during school hours, you can't yeah. do things. Um, do you think you get to a point where there's, um, whether it's through Google Maps or whatever, that there's a way to collect data so you can have a good look at what is the traffic flow in a particular area and then that helps inform how you're going to take deliveries is that so um the thing that we're doing at the moment with a couple of sites in australia and the uk is tracking vehicles um and that is partly there to look at the the estimated time of arrival but actually it's probably more important from a compliance perspective um, in terms of meeting the planning conditions. Um, also in Australia, you have um, fairly significant legislation associated to the chain of custody. Um, so you know, the intent is that um, the construction company, because they ultimately bear responsibility for what gets delivered or taken away from site, they can track waste deliveries from the site to the waste station and mm. then through the platform upload the waste docket so they've got a very clear audit trail of that to meet yeah. a legal requirement. So I think that's the first big one to look at. Secondly, um, I think there's an interesting thing to be said about linking into transport authorities and providing them data on what's going on um, because ultimately if you have a big construction activity, you sort of do want the transport authority to be aware of the fact that there's 100 concrete lorries coming in tomorrow morning mm -hmm. um, and that might potentially have an effect on traffic lights um, and stuff like that. And I've certainly had discussions with Transport for London around uh, that kind of thing about providing them um, access to our data so they can sort of understand where they're going to be planned traffic hotspots um, mm. with sort of construction or, or particularly event-related uh, deliveries. Um, but then this can all feed into wider sort of planning work around because, you know, if we, if we have a huge amount of data on a, you know, what a what's the logistics footprint for a 50-storey tower in a downtown area, um, being able to provide that as part of a logistics plan can actually really help, I think, address some of the concerns about um, planning conditions and stuff like that. So you're talking about your data, right? Yes. For, you know, what's coming and going and, you know, under concrete trucks coming, yeah. all that kind of stuff. What about getting third-party data to better plan on that front-end conversation so people know ahead of time that, okay, um, between 6.45 and 9.45, if you're coming eastbound on Washington Street, yep. it is always backed up yep. seven lights, yep. whatever. So anybody that's trucking in from there, you probably don't want to make your deliveries between this time and that time if you're coming from the other way great if you're coming from this way so let's schedule eastbound um, i'm just making things up yep. here right let's spend each bound eastbound deliveries from in you know this time to that time and westbound deliveries from yep. this bound. like do you think you is uh, that data that's out there could you ever get uh, that like some of that data does exist um i mean L london definitely has a lot of you know, valuable data like that. Hmm. Um, and you can also look at it from the perspective of if there's a, a big road accident um, a mile away, 
you sort of want to be able to um, better inform drivers. And this is part of the reason for you know, having mobile apps and everything like that. You sort of want to be able to say to people, actually, you know, don't come down this street you know, because it's a disaster, come down that street, or by virtue of the fact that there's been this massive accident, we're going to push all of the appointments or bookings off by a couple of hours. So. Okay. And I, I was making a note while you were talking. Um, so you were saying if that accident happens, you can send an alert? We can send alerts through our through system. The app. We okay. can send alerts through the platform as well. Um, there are challenges about giving alerts directly to drivers, um, partly because if they're driving, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Secondly, um, trucking companies don't necessarily like getting that information, sorry, Mid- that information being provided direct from us. So um, the platform has the capability to message drivers and message anyone and, and do everything. But um, I think that's definitely something that we want to you know, push more and sort of promote that more dynamic use of the platform. Um, but that's where you need to sort of really have real-time stuff happening. But, you know, whether that happens in the next year or two in any meaningful way, um, I don't know, but certainly I think that's the direction of travel. You know, the reality is we are still moving people off whiteboards <laughs> onto a digital scheduling platform, so we don't want to throw everything at them in one hit. And going mm-hmm. back to something you said um, early in the conversation about tech companies throwing a lot of stuff and too much complexity at mm-hmm. companies, we're very mindful of that as well. Like there's a gazillion things we want to do, but if we're not careful and if we don't take our customers on the journey with us, we're going to lose them, you know, pretty quickly. Yeah. So. No, I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I'm still thinking in the terms of, okay, if we're going to blue sky, like what does it look like in 15 yep. years? Yeah. Like to me, that would that would be useful information because yes. I'm going through it right now with the, you know, looking at CMPs, construction management plans yep. in Boston. Yeah. That would be some valuable data, uh, you know, to have. Yeah, I mean, our our most complex job site shortly is in London, um, which is a billion-dollar expansion plan to an existing convention centre, so which is a client of ours already. So, um, and this is where the owner is um, very much our client as well. And yeah, the challenge is how do we keep a very busy convention centre running in London with lots of events? Mm-hmm. Um, and then try and build two hotels on top of it at the same time. So we, I mean, fortunately, we've got years of data from that. We have a lot of data on construction projects, mm-hmm. um, and they're using Navisworks. So we're going to try and, you know, do a lot of work around how do we inform the model about what is possible from a construction logistics perspective, given all of the events and the event logistics and, and stuff like that that's mm-hmm. happening. So... Yeah, that's going to take quite a lot of effort and work, but yeah, that should be a really exciting thing, and and that goes to your sort of planning sort of idea as well, sort of because it also then takes into account local traffic conditions um, in what is an incredibly challenging part of London um, to to get around in as well. So, okay, all right, I'm going to forgive my abruptness here, but I want to just make sure that I'm a respectful of your time, and then um, wrap this up with a question that I always like to ask everybody. but in the future, there's a handful of things moving out there. But I would love to talk um, maybe some other time about QAQC yes. and how that fits in. Yep. And then modular yep. and how that might change uh, your business model, potentially. Not business model, but change construction yep. sites, right? Yep. Um, but over, this is big picture, doesn't have to be construction logistics, doesn't have to be technology. But 
What do you think over the next 12 to 24 months, could be five years, don't feel hamstrung by that. Um, What do you think we're going to see more of and what do you think we're going to see less of? Uh, Just generally? Yeah. uh, In construction? Um, I think there's still going to be, you know, a, a lot of, dare I say, maturing to do in the industry and industries generally about how do they adopt technology and use it to the best of their ability and, and maybe in five years things like machine learning and big data will, will not just be buzzwords they'll actually mm-hmm. be providing a, a lot more meaningful um, support um, cities are challenged with congestion um, and I think you know given how booming the construction industry is there are big labor challenges as well so I think that's going to have a forcing function on the construction industry to, to have to do things in a more efficient uh, way. Um, and, you know, in the UK, a couple of big construction companies have gone out of business because they just weren't operating efficiently and, mm. you know, they had zero profit margin. So, uh, yeah, that'll be an interesting dynamic to see if that sort of similarly plays out. Okay. You're, uh, the, you're the second person that has mentioned... The congestion piece, yeah, because um, Boston is struggling with it right now, yeah. and the the trouble is, it's great to say that um, you know we have to get people off the roads, but if you have to build that building, yeah. there's no working from home to build yeah. the building, right? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So you know, there there is an interesting challenge about how cities continue to operate as they become more densely populated, mm. um, and is the public infrastructure in place to support that? You know, and unfortunately, in many US cities, the answer to that is no. Um, yes. Whether it doesn't exist or it hasn't been funded properly for, for decades. Mm. Um, so there is a, a very big you know, you know, tactical or infrastructure debt there that needs to be uh, addressed at some time. Mm. At some point, the use of robotics and um, is interesting, you know, whether it's and modular construction like our. our Techniques going to change such that we have robots on job sites doing more things. We're going to have a lot more modular. Um, there's some really cool modular projects that uh, we're involved in or hope to be involved in the next sort of six to 12 months um, because that can really speed up construction time, you know, yep. like uh, unbelievably. So, um, and you know, how, how is that going to resonate with people who, you know, it, it's really going to have a displacing um, sort of impact on potential trades and, and stuff like that where something's being manufactured you know, you know, in the next state or indeed another country and then yeah. brought in, put into place and you don't need to have you know, all the electricians you did last time. You only need five instead of 20 and the project's only going to take six months instead of 24. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to really have an interesting impact. Absolutely. So, yeah, and then I even think about the impact on safety, right? Absolutely. So, I mean... You, the I have to assume the injury rate in a factory is much lower than absolutely on a site absolutely right so now you bring down the number of accidents fatalities that yeah. are, it's just a plethora of reasons why yeah. it makes sense and then is is there going to be that sort of, you know there's this technology diffusion curve or technology adoption curve where you start with innovators early adopters and then you hit the this sort of you know point at about twelve or thirteen percent of the market where you suddenly get this massive uptake with mm-hmm. the early majority and you know will insurance be the thing that sort of you know insurers say okay well modular is clearly 10 times more safe therefore if you do a modular project you're going to pay you know a, a tiny infinitesimal amount of insurance as opposed to a, a, a normal construction project absolutely i mean like think that. of the so, risk right you're yeah. 
the fire risk, water damage risk, yep. mold, yep. fall hazard, like uh, pretty much all on and on. You so, know? Yeah, project delivery risk, you know, everything. Yep. Struck so, by, right, yep. with less, yep. you know, trucks and loading and unloading and yep. all that kind of stuff. Yep. Well, all right, James, this is great. I know I kept you a little long. No, no, no. I uh, appreciate you coming by, and maybe we'll uh, talk again. See Excellent. you and I haven't finished that list. Excellent. Thank right. you. Take care, <laughs> Hey, everyone. Can't thank you enough for listening to the show. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you loved what you heard. Um, if you did, if you wouldn't mind heading over to SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever it is that you listen, and give us a rating. It would help us to get heard, which would be huge. Keep this thing going. Um, if you want to get more involved, head over to massconstruction.org. You can see what we do there. You can also connect with us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook, all from that page, whatever your medium is that you prefer. Uh, and last thing I got to say is thank you, thank you, thank you. We out, we out, we out.